This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. Before introducing guests of today's episode, I would like to note just a few things. Physical Activity Researcher Podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so if you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast, please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing, I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you, my audience, is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter, retweeting tweets sometimes, and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now... It is time for the actual show and introduction of our great guest of today's episode. He is a medical doctor with PhD in public health. He has received his academic training in Finland, Switzerland and Sweden. And currently he works as an assistant professor at Florida International University College of Medicine. He has also worked in non-communicable diseases in Argentina, Colombia and Paraguay. He is an active member of the American Public Health Association in both the physical activity section as well as the epidemiology section. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Noel Varengo. Welcome, Noel. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Oli, for the introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to participate in the podcast. Yeah, uh, really honored to have you here. So you have a really interesting international background. Would you like to tell about your medical and academic journey this far? <laughs> well, it has been a, a, a long journey. I, I basically, I, I grew up, I was born and grew up in, in Switzerland, in, in Lucerne and grew up in, in Zurich and where I started my medical studies. So I studied half of the study there, three years. And then I went actually to Kuopio and I studied, um, finished my medical studies at the University of Kuopio. Now it's the University of Eastern Finland, where mm. I graduated from medical school. And then I sort of tried to avoid like clinical work. And so started to a, a master's in public health with the Professor at the time, um, Professor Auli Genesinen, who was well known for the North Karelia project in Finland. And my other mentor was uh, Jako Tuomilehto, who is another well known, famous epidemiologist in the field of chronic disease. And then I started to do a PhD under their supervision on physical activity and all cause mortality and hypertension and different kind of outputs um, or long-term endpoints of chronic diseases. After graduating from the PhD, then then Jakob Duomilehto, he recruited me to a European diabetes prevention project called DEPLAN, which was about diabetes in Europe, changing, uh, reducing the, the incidence of diabetes by lifestyle interventions like physical activity and nutritional habits. And at that time point, uh, I was living already in Riga in Latvia um, with my first wife. And so I worked from there on the European project, coordinating it. Later on, then I went to Spain, to Madrid for a postdoc and working at the University La Paz in, in Madrid. And from there, I, as I liked always South America, I, I went, ended up in, in Argentina for about four years or three years where I worked as consultant at the Ministry of Health, helping with the physical duty guidelines. I also worked as a, as a teacher at the university. 
teaching medical students health promotion, public health. From mm. there, I ended up in Colombia and where I lived four years with my current wife. And there I worked as a consultant at the Ministry of Health. I developed, helped them develop the physical literacy guidelines, as well as the diabetes prevention and screening guidelines. And while being in South America, I also worked a lot with other countries like Chile, Paraguay, and helping basically a lot in diabetes prevention and physical duty. And about four years ago, I received a job offer to come to Miami to the International University of Florida, Florida International University, and where I have been working ever since the last four years. So mainly now it's a teaching position. So I'm teaching clinical epidemiology, research methods and evidence-based medicine and also got involved in the in the American Public Health Association so I'm the chair elect of the physical activity section as the organization has a lot of different sections I think there are about 20 sections and I'm naturally involved in the physical activity section and I'm setting up a diabetes interest group I'm also mm -hmm. in the American Diabetes Station now chair elect of the epidemiology and public health section so so that's more or less about my my international journey so somehow i end up in the united states yeah that was there was many countries in in that and and i i've been also going going places quite a bit how, how do you feel where is where is home or is the home just the place where you happen to be at the moment um actually it's probably the latter you say i mean I feel comfortable where I am now. Florida is nice. I mean, despite the hurricane seasons and, and the heat, I mean, it's usually in summer, it's between 34 and 40 degrees. In winter, it's between 15 and 25. Um, mm. I mean, my, my family is, is comfortable here. The schools are good where we are. I'm good at my, at my work. I, f I feel confident. I mean, I feel good. There's a lot of things to develop professionally, and so i'm still learning a lot of things but of course it's it's not europe i mean what i miss in europe i mean the cities are different the culture is different so it's always nice visiting europe and i haven't been to finland actually for about eight years so it would be nice to be to spend some time again in finland or especially in Kuopio, and mm. to see my one of my favorite i like hockey so so i like usually galba so i'm a, I'm a hockey fan so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and and you know well enough that the summer is the better time to visit Finland than than the winter. <laughs> it is, but sometimes it's nice to have some snow, cold, nice, but not maybe six months. So, so it could be nice to be there like February, March for two or three weeks, going skiing. But yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, every country I think has its benefit and its nice part. I mean, fin Finland is beautiful, Switzerland is beautiful too, and. Um, I've seen a lot of really nice countries and um, you get to know them when you live there. That's probably the easiest way. Mm, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. So with all this very, very interesting background being in different countries, what is, is your main interest at the moment? I have two main interests. I mean, the interests have shifted a little bit through my career. When I started, I started with physical activity research, so in cohort studies, using the, the Finrisky and Finmonica studies. So that gave me like an insight in, in physical activity from the epidemiology, uh, epidemiology public health point of view. Then I, as Jaco uh, Duomileto, who recruited me for the diabetes activity, he works strongly in diabetes. So I ended up for a very long time working in diabetes prevention and screening, which is still one of my main activities. Recently, then uh, in my time in South America, I again, I, I basically worked in physical activity research, like in more in population implementation of facility guidelines, the public health aspect, the epidemiology aspect, together with diabetes um, screening and prevention. And physical activity is one of the most important to risk factor of type 2 diabetes. So uh, it fits perfectly. And Due to my teaching assignments, as we teach our student research methods, they have a two-month rotation with us. They have to choose projects using some existing databases. So that means that 
they do research on the cancer registry we have data from national surveys so from that point of view i started to do a lot of cancer and health disparity research as well with my students so assessing differences of race on mortality outcomes in different cancer patients but basically a lot of different projects in the field of public health but still with my main focus physical activity and and type 2 diabetes mm. so you have been working a lot relation in relation to diabetes could you could you tell how important the physical activity is in the prevention and what kind of different aspects are important in physical activity in basically the two main risk factors of type 2 diabetes is like um, obesity or overweight and and physical inactivity so physical activity helps in both helps in preventing uh, or delaying type 2 diabetes as well in patients with type 2 diabetes it increases their endpoints increases their control this is because physical activity has an important impact on the glucose level mechanisms and the control of glucose in the blood it drives the glucose from the blood into the cells so it reduces the glucose levels and it has a lot of other it has an impact on insulin resistance and many other metabolic elements so um what is recommended i mean for health for being shown in in the prevention of type 2 diabetes if you are like 30 minutes per day active of moderate intensity then this is basic enough to have uh, a good impact on health and preventing diabetes the for instance the diabetes prevention study that was carried out in finland or the diabetes prevention program in the united states and many other diabetes prevention programs they usually show that with with that doses of physical activity 30 minutes per day every day of the week and moderate intensity that this is one of the two components that help to reduce or delay type 2 diabetes the other component is like um a nutritional advice or weight loss but usually don't give only one you have to combine them so it's a energy balance i mean if you move more you eat a bit more if you move less you have to eat less to have still a, a equilibrium like a not a positive energy balance because if you if we eat more than we spend energy then we go up in weight and if you spend more energy than we then we eat and we go down in weight actually it's it's very simple mathematics but it's not that easy to implement but basically with with half an hour of moderate intensity activity which is that if you practice this, you can still talk to someone but you can't sing anymore that's more more or less moderate activity yeah this podcast is sponsored by fibian a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting standing physical activity and energy expenditure furthermore fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light moderate and vigorous intensity in addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And how do you see the importance of different intensities of physical activity? So if we have quite unfit person, it's quite difficult to do moderate intensity for for long durations before getting actually really really tired or or that it starts to affects but kind of lower intensity you can do more but it has different physiological effects so how do you how do you see the importance of different intensities uh, the intensity are important i mean the main problem specific in the us is that people are not active at all so we cannot ask people to become from unfit or like sedentary lifestyle to go to moderate which is a bit complicated because you first have to motivate them that they start moving in, in basically so there's some studies and we we're currently doing some data analysis checking like um the impact of on mortality the cardiovascular mortality in people that are not may meeting the guidelines of health now moderate intensity but who meeting they move at least something and it has been showed that they basically do do also better so even if we start making the moving from no physicality to somehow physicality at least a low intensity but they move 
it has a health benefit. But the other thing is the guidelines basically also show that you should engage at least twice per week in muscle strengthening activities. And this can be done pretty easy from home. I mean, there can be some push-ups, can be like jumping jacks. I mean, there are different kinds of exercises you can do. And they have some benefits as well. So if you combine it or have low levels of aerobic physical activity, but do twice per week some muscle strengthening activity, it has a benefit as well. So they do better than people who do not do anything. But I, I, I agree that the first, the most important thing is to break the circle that people start to be at least somehow physically active. And that's probably the biggest challenge we have at the moment. Mm. And you mentioned the muscle strengthening exercises. Is there different mechanisms at play when you compare, for example, moderate intensity physical activity and then type of resistance training that what are the, what, what do these affect these different modalities? Um, That's actually an interesting question. So I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. I need to go probably read a bit more about the differences. I mean, both exercises increase the heart rate, um, have a lot of beneficial um, impacts on thrombolytic factors, on, on insulin resistance, by by their impact they have in their body. So um, mm. the different forms. I mean, muscle strength activity. They they train certain parts of the body. Um, more the, the muscle strength and not the aerobic capacity. So probably maybe there's some differences, but as both bases have been shown to have some benefit. The, the other thing is if you increase like from two or two times or three times muscle strength activity to four or five times every day, there's not that much additional benefit anymore. The same if you go from moderate to vigorous physical activity, aerobic activities, There's not that much benefits that you get additionally. So it's really enough for the regular people to be moderately active and you don't have to run a marathon or be vigorously active. So even with low doses or with somehow some levels of physicality, you get probably a lot of benefits. Hmm. So better to do just more moderate intensity activity than vigorous intensity activity in relation to type 2 diabetes risk. Yes, I mean, not only for type 2 diabetes risk, the same in regard risk of hypertension, of cardiovascular disease mortality, cancer, even cancer mortality and all-cause mortality. So moderate levels are enough for health purposes. But then, I mean, for athletes, it's different. Um, the guidelines all say that if if you if you do vigorous physical activity, then 75 minutes per week is enough. But probably... Most people do vigorous physicality, they, they training certain disciplines like tennis or, or soccer or something, and they usually have automatically more than 75 minutes. But for health purposes, moderate intensity is, is enough, is sufficient. Mm. Do, you, do you know why, why is it like that? Because kind of the vigorous is giving a stronger stimuli for the body but is it that if you are unfit the moderate is already giving enough of stimuli for adaptation that wh- why why the vigorous doesn't give you more advantage it's it's probably i mean it's what we've seen it's sort of a curve that is um have a steep increase if you start at physical activity get to moderate levels and then it flattens a little bit out so You still have some benefits if you are compared between moderate and vigorous physicality, but the the benefit gained is not as big as um, from low levels to moderate than comparing with moderate to to vigorous. So the, the biggest benefit you get from changing from no physicality to moderate, maybe it's a sort of a it's maybe not a linear dose response relationship, but more like a, a curve. So. You get until a certain level, if you get physical activity, then you get all the benefits. And and the more you do, then, then it doesn't give any more that much. So probably you're feeling the capacity which you can achieve with physical activity. The problem is then if starting from vigorous level or more or very vigorous level, you also could have some increase in risk. So what you should recommend people when they start the physical activity, there's, I mean, two kind of, screening what you should do or could do i mean the first one is you can check like on the health behavior cycle that there's a something called 
how people change behavior, like a Prochaska model. So we evaluate first where people are. Are they in the phase that they do not want to be physically active? Are they in the phase that they are thinking to be maybe active? Or in the phase that they're already a very dis taken a decision, they're going to be physically active. So to help them evaluate where they are, because people who are like in the, I don't want to be physically active. The thing we can do with them is giving them uh, information. We can explain them why it's important to be physically active, the benefits they will get, so motivate them and to tell them that if they like to be active or start, they can approach us. People who are in a phase like pre-contemplation, meaning that they're thinking to be physically active with those, we can start to work on a, on a plan and motivate them because I mean, we all know the most difficult thing is breaking the cycle. I mean, if you're sedentary that we start, once we start, it's much, much easier. So that's, that's one of the approaches. The other one is we probably need to screen because we cannot people who have cardiac uh, heart diseases, um, tell them they have to go running immediately without having some sort of checkup. So there's some checklist that identifies if people have certain risk factors, for instance, if to do, if they move, if they have chest pain or some factors that show that they may have a heart disease. So if they have hypertension and a certain age limit, then usually before they engage in moderate intense activity, it will be good to having like the heart checked. And, but for the regular, for the lay person, a, a younger adult and without any risk factors, there shouldn't be any problem. So there shouldn't be any check. You don't need probably a checkup in order to be physically active. And this is probably to avoid like um, sudden death or some people usually you, you see like uh, read some newspaper headlines that uh, a guy ran a marathon and he died sudden death. These are basically people who have had some precondition and, mm-hmm. and that, that's why they had some adverse events. And, but this is like vigorous activity. So moderate activities are pretty safe, but some people, maybe it's not recommended to moderately active due to some basic disease they have, but that's why it's good to have sometimes a screening. Mm. And how, how do you see the prescription of physical activity? It's well known that it improves most of the risks for chronic conditions, but how could we improve the effectiveness of prescription in, in different countries? Uh, I like the physical activity prescription idea. And I, I, I know that, I mean, it started with the, the green prescription in New Zealand many years ago. I know that Finland has implemented, I think the UKK Institute had a leader, leadership on that. And and it has been used in, in primary healthcare as well. In South America, the American College of Sport Medicine, they have started a program called Exercises Medicine. And when I worked in, lived in South America, I, I used a program, we were training physicians in the prescription of physical activity. So I've held workshops like in, in Paraguay, in Uruguay, in Argentina, Colombia, in many countries about it. And I think it's a, it's a good concept. It depends how the training is. I mean, you need to train the physicians or the healthcare personnel in, in the Americas, basically the program targeted physicians or specialists. And, but I think it's much more, you should target a, a whole group of healthcare workers because the physician doesn't have that much time. If you have 10 or 50 minutes for patients, it's not enough to go through all the physical activity part. So you need to work with, with nurses, maybe the psychologists, with nutritionists. So creating a group that you divide the task for the physical duty prescription. I think the prescription works and it motivates the people and, and systematic reviews have shown that by prescribing physical duty, they improve, they increase the amount of physical duty they spend. It has been well perceived and the concept is I mean, people, when they go to a physician or to a doctor, they usually expect they to come out with a prescription. And if you just give advice, you should be physically active and no prescription. They maybe are used to be disappointed. But now they have an individual description, how to practice physical activity, how many times, what disciplines they could do every day, what can be done. But in regard to prescription to be asked how to be more efficient, 
I think we need to train even more or better the healthcare personnel. It includes the primary healthcare physicians. For instance, Finland has like, I think, 20,000 physicians and half of them are primary healthcare, more or less. So I think they play important roles. So we have to train them about the importance of prescribing physical duty, that they reorganize the time that they can spend with the patient, that they know that probably have to first evaluate where the patient is in the healthcare, a health behavior change cycle. The same we do with actually patients who like to stop smoking. And then you need to have probably some guidelines who can, who can you prescribe physicality without any other additional tests. So I wouldn't prescribe to physicality directly to patients who have a underlying coronary artery disease and hypertension at 60 years old without first having some, his heart having checked up and maybe having a treadmill test to check his fitness levels and, mm. and then to adapt this to his physical duty prescription. So I think it's all about training and reorganizing maybe the healthcare system, the, the timing that the working groups in, as in some countries, like remember in Finland, you, you're very well organized. I mean, the, at the primary healthcare center, you work in groups, a physician, physician works with a nurse, with a nutrition psychologist. In other countries in South America, it's more like sort of separated. There's a physician and there's the nurse, but they haven't really started to work as teams. And I think in the prescribing physical duty, it's, it's really important that you, you work as uh, in healthcare as teams, you delegate the task. So everybody does what he can best. I mean, even physical duty educators or physical duty specialists they're probably the best ones to to guide the patients through how to practice physically and what to do. Probably better than physicians. A nutritionist gives the best advice on what to eat. And the psychologist probably he or she could take care of removing the barriers to start with practicing physicality. So I think that could make it even more an impact even more. But I think it's all about training and and start to train healthcare personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically training of healthcare workers and and doing teamwork would be important. So how do you see the, like you said, physicians are busy. Who should be the one taking care of the exercise prescription and the behavior change? Should there be a role specific for this this task? Um It depends a little bit on the different healthcare systems and the role of the physicians, because in some countries, the people, the patients, they do not believe that much. The nurses or other healthcare personnel, they're very much focused on the physicians. In other countries, there it, it's not that emphasis. The, the roles are not that that different. I mean, there's not this hierarchical principle. I think. The physician has to make a decision, takes the responsibility and whether the patient can start physical duty. He can do the first screening. I mean, I can check like whether a patient fulfills the criteria that he can practice physical duty without any problem or moderate intensity and probably tell the patient, urge him to be physically active as probably has a, um, an impact on patient's behavior, maybe more than other healthcare personnel. And there should be for the actual prescription, I mean, probably the best person are physically the experts to prescribe the details of doing the prescriptions, what forms to do, which exercises to do, how many times per day. This can easily be done by anyone else who is trained in physical activity. The nurses could do follow-up, follow up some basic indicators like a physical duty diary can be followed by the by the nurses or psychologists or that same physically expert but then there should be like regular visits as well that involves the physicians so to see how it goes so i mean it's a delegating of tasks but i think the first visit i think it's good if it's a physician i mean if it's possible mm. yeah I, i like the approach you presented so What should be done to be able to implement this on a on a wide basis in, in different countries? How how to actually do it? It's it's probably first convincing these countries or the professional associations on the importance. 
like uh, I said, in, in the US, the American College of Sport Medicine, which is an association well respected, they sort of made a brand mark of it. I mean, a trademark and a brand and they, they training physicians about it. And they started also to set up groups in different countries about the program and the training it. So um, it's probably just the increase in convincing the professional associations in the different countries of the importance, offering the training through physicians, I mean, either through some associations, institutions, and trying to convince more people to set it up. The other thing is, it should be linked maybe with clinical practice guidelines. This will help it as well, because physical duty is one important factor in the prevention of, of diabetes, but also in prevention of hypertension. And it's a sort of one of the treatment of most chronic diseases. So if it's linked to the guidelines, if it's visible that there's evidence-based, um, that there's evidence of systematic reviews and meta-analysis that this works, then it should be entering the clinical practice guidelines. Once we have it in the guidelines, it's a little bit easier so people know that this is efficient, this works, and then we have to tell them how to implement the guidelines. The other thing is having it uh, some countries have national guidelines on physical activity. So this is another concept to um, having this, like uh, the, the guideline committees are in, implemented or included in the national guidelines of physical activity. I know that, for instance, Paraguay, Colombia, they have, and, and Argentina, they have national physical activity guidelines. And in some of their guidelines, the prescription of exercise is included. Mm. So you said that the physical activities should be in the clinical practice guidelines, that it would be easier then to prescribe and use it as a tool. Why Why is it not there? There's a, there's a lot of evidence of the, of the benefits of physical activity and very little side effects, especially if you're healthy or your heart is checked. So wh why is it not there already? It, it that that's a good question. So it depends. It also depends a little bit. For instance, in the U.S., in the in the American Diabetes Association, they publish every year the standards of care, and physicality is in there. I mean, it's there's a specific paragraph that says that physicality, like moderate intensity, half an hour, um, physicality is needed to prevent type two diabetes. Evidence A, so the best evidence. So it's there that we should practice it, but. Unfortunately, it's not that much about the physicality prescription. So this, I'm not sure, probably has to do with the people who organize the guidelines. That there, a lot of times there may be too much clinical based, so a lot of clinicians that um, work on the guidelines, they do not have maybe a specialty in epidemiology or they don't maybe see the public health relevance or they're not aware of it. So, this is probably some political lobbying should be done by the institutions that work in physical activity in each country and to encourage the professional associations in including this in, in their guidelines and organizing training because, I mean, it works. And as you said, there's not much, I mean, contraindications and not much, I mean, side effects of physical activity. The, the other thing on that, it's, it's a little bit sad that nowadays if you have to ask a physician if he can be physically active. I mean, who would have thought that about 100 years ago that that before physically active, ask a physician if he can move. So it's in general, we went to the wrong direction because this should be like a natural habit to do it. The same mm. is like getting operated not to eat that much. I mean, about 100 years ago, I mean, people thought that's a joke. So, but, so, but this is where we are nowadays. So I think it's about implementing it and getting it to the guidelines has to do a lot with, with, with lobbying probably from public health um, perspectives and associations working in physical activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you when you talk about political lobbying, do you see that the pharma companies has has their their lobbying here that the physical activity is, is not there? I mean, they're probably not really fighting against physical activity as, as my experience with uh, working with some pharmaceutical companies in, in, in the diabetes field, they actually very open to 
the lifestyle changes as well and they start to implement them as well but it's probably it, they're probably more focused on on the lobbying on on certain medications so that's what they're driving them and they are well organized so we could take an example how they organize how they do the lobbying and in in also lifestyle changes so if you would use the same approach we probably could be more efficient but it has to do also with financial probably possibilities in, in doing it it's like it's more getting heard i mean that that we're getting heard that this is important this helps as well and that for instance diabetes prevention if we are half an hour physically active losing five percent of our increased weight then this has a bigger impact than probably most medications because it reduces type 2 diabetes by about 40 percent it decreases hypertension it decreases the risk of heart attacks of cancer of a lot of different things it decreases your cholesterol level increases the, the good cholesterol level it decreases blood pressure in general to our glucose fasting glucose so it has so many and and your triglycerides so has so many positive impacts that no no drug cocktail will do the same the same changes but probably maybe for the patients it's easier taking a tablet or two than than actively being physically active or something i think it needs mm. to change how we think probably yeah that that does make sense this podcast is sponsored by fibian fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform it is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. So how, how do you see the role of different digital tools, apps, uh, trackers in, in the behavior chains and, and physical activity prescription? Um, I, I like it. I mean, I, I use, a I mean, personally, I, I use a, I have a Fitbit, so which I got as the present of us Father's Day present two years ago. And then for me, it helps. Like when I go running or do sports, it helps me tracking. It's interesting to see where, where I run. Like you can see most apps can tell you then the distance you run, the speed you run, it helps you to improving. It controls your heart frequency, your heart rate. Uh, some of them even have sleep patterns. They, some apps tell you more or less uh, just about steps you took per day and has been shown that for instance, 10,000 steps per day is more or less half an hour physical activity. So it's not perfect, but I think it's a, it's a very useful tool for patients or regular people or even athletes to follow up their physical activity behavior. And, and I think it's motivating as well. I mean, it, it's great to see after a workout, okay, how did I perform? What's my resting heart rate? Um, when they reached the peak, what was like the, when was aerobic activities and when there was like fat burn, whatever. I think, I mean, I, I personally, I like it. And I think it it's, uh, it's of help for patients to start being physically active because if you put any app or any device, then usually you forgot about the device. I mean, and automatically get recorded your physical behavior you can download the data your physician or physical duty expert could download the data and you can see how you perform and if you improve because if your heart rate your resting heart rate goes down slowly you do something well and then if you see that your speed or the intensity of physicality goes up or remains the same i mean it helps a lot for tracking so i think it's a very useful very important tool and I think, I think if this could be implemented or even if um, healthcare insurance company would support that, like certain tools, I think it, it has a motivational approach and uh, for the control and for supervision and, and a lot of like, in, I think it is of very high importance in, in prescribing physical duty. Mm. So how, how do you see like these consumer devices, like you said, Fitbit, they are 
they are good for motivation, kind of empowerment. Do you see a role for physical activity tracking that the medical practitioners could measure accurately the base base level of physical activity for the for the prescription? I think it's very useful. So you what you need to do is probably giving first the patients before you do any changes like uh, putting many tracker for some time for a week or two to measure his activity levels when he's active or what part of the day um, what are the intensity level and we measure basically by the increase in the heart heart rate so how much time per day he spends like in in low levels a low intensity or moderate intensity level then to see how he responds to change in physicality think it's a very useful tool to assess the baseline levels. And then during the prescription phase or when he started to be active, it's good for controlling. So you don't need a physical duty diary afterwards because you just, the patient doesn't have to write down anything. So you just download the data of the device. And if the physician, if the patient agrees that the physician has access, then you have the perfect control. And then you can make changes in in the intensity you can see okay you don't reach really the moderate intensity yet so let's increase a little bit or here i think it's too much be careful if you get to the extent like the the maximal heart rate so don't overdo it i think it's a very useful tool for uh physicality monitoring and and prescribing mm. and and how do you see in in medical practice for example with the elderly people who are not very technologically savvy. Uh, do, you, do you see that every patient should have their own tracker or would the, would the medical center have them and would they give devices? So how do you see the practicalities with, with some patient groups? Probably it depends a bit on the device. I mean, the, the beautiful, I mean, I, I personally like numbers. I like to control, I like to track. So um, I think for like um, depends a bit on the devices there are like for instance uh i know finland had a polar watch the fitbit things that the patient don't have to do anything just to vary it and especially older patients that are maybe not that aware of technology it's easy to just wear a certain device which records automatically the data and they just give the permission to the healthcare person that can use the data download it so it helps a lot for the physicians because probably when they have to record or write down when they're active, how much they're active. It's not that accurate. It's not that precise, but if they have a device and don't have to think about it and the physicians, physician have all the data, I think this solves an issue. Of course, uh, if it's data transfer, you need data security and probably make sure that there's not that uh, personal identifiers, but, I think the role is specifically in patient groups that are not really in technologies can be really important. In other groups, I mean, if you use certain apps, apps are good if you if you have a smartphone. I mean, more and more people have smartphone, also the older population has smartphones. And they may should be trained, maybe they just are not interested, it makes it difficult for them. So then apps are a little bit more difficult. But it's if it's a device they don't have to do anything or an app that traces their behavior without them having to do anything that's probably easier to getting the information i mean the information is the idea to getting information is it, it to adapt the physicality um prescription or their their the, the advice that they have the maximal benefit and to identify if we see that they overdo it or there's some adverse effects maybe for younger people, probably it's a motivation. I mean, for me, um, personally, it's a motivation if I can track uh, my physical behavior during the week and some of the devices to give you like uh, badges that like now you walked the same distance as like the island of New Zealand is long or something. So it's fun. I mean, it's motivating. Mm. And so you, you, you mentioned the data security things and there's quite many things that need to be considered when when you would bring these to medical care in a for wider use so what would be an an ideal tracker for for the medical practice use that you could envision 
I mean, there are a lot of different devices. I mean, probably any device that you can that records the patient's uh, heart frequency, that records when the patient is active, that reports like the duration of his activity uh, during the day um, is is useful. So then, if healthcare systems use electronic records, as most European countries using and here as well, then this could be maybe linked with their um, health records. So you ideally it would be something that downloads the patient data. I mean, online or there's an automatical backup where the patient gives the permission to download the data that enters directly the health records. And then there will be sort of a summary statement telling that that patient, he was um, translate the message to make it easier for the physicians that the patient was overall had maybe 100 minutes of moderate physical duty during the last seven days, maybe 50 minutes of uh, vigorous activity. His heart rate was between these limits. On two occasions, it exceeded the maximal frequency. So sort of maybe alerts or some marks that tells the physician if the patient is does well or not. It should be somehow easy, understandable for the physicians because they're not all physically to the experts. So there has to be translated in a message that makes it clear the physician of the patient does well, where he has to improve, where he has to decrease, what changes has to be made. And if this information can pop up like in a in one box or one screen, we have all the information and you can see it in about 20, 30 seconds, gets the most information. That's probably most efficient, given that the limited amount of time some physicians have for the patients. So I think that's probably the challenge and to, to program that, but this will be really useful in clinical practice. So, so it should be key message that you can, you can understand in, let's say 20 seconds. What, what could be the yeah. message? Is it, is it about increasing moderate intensity or decreasing sedentary behavior? Or could you give some examples? What, what I would imagine um that you have sort of a box that tells like the amount of moderate physically the patient had during the past week and then sort of indicates like maybe can be in a red box sort of missing 20 minutes or exceeded by 20 minutes so to know whether you need to encourage the patient to be more active and then you would have this for low intensity moderate and vigorous intensity and then you would have an information on the the heart frequency, heart rate frequency, in which occasion he exceeded the maximal frequency, which isn't a, a good thing. So there's not that much benefit. So that it tries to be an aerobic thing. So probably four or five key indicators that the physician could use what he needs, because he all in all he needs to use like if he reached the recommended level. So um, how many minutes? What was the intensity? And if there are any red flags? So like. Um, maximal frequency, I mean, overload sort of. So um, this will probably help. And then he he could also use information to write down the patient history, but there should be a specific paragraph about lifestyle that patient has sufficient physical activity, has nutritional changes done or whatever. Maybe for some specialities, like maybe endocrinology, uh, deal with diabetes patients and physicians that are maybe more aware of his activity, you could have maybe a more advanced version. So it could be like a basic version for most physicians. And then you may program it if you want more information, you sort of select certain indicators as a physician that you would like to follow. But there's a, a minimal of four or five main indicators, and then you can select more if you're more interested in. This may help. So Mm, yeah, no, I, I like the idea that it would be integrated to the me electronic medical records and and that the take-home message is very easy and it's it's quick to quick to check. I like the I like the idea. So how about if we move to another team and, and the pandemic in the world? So how do you see the importance of physical activity at the moment in the world? Uh, the, the, the important, I mean, it's as important as before. It's still important to get to the recommended levels of physical activity and be physical activity. What has changed probably now, it's more difficult to, to practice what you did before. I mean, I personally, I play tennis and I like to play tennis, but all the tennis clubs are closed. So 
I had to find different forms to be physically active. Then it depends a lot on the quarantine measure the country has. So we have, for instance, on phase zero, which means that we should basically stay at home, but we can go out to shops. And as I have the possibility of going for running, so now I, I start to to go running every other day for 40 minutes so to go, go jogging. And then in the backyard, I, I can do some muscle strength activity or using the wall of, the, of, of my backyard to do some volleys and tennis or something. So a lot of people maybe don't have the possibility or they cannot leave home. So some people have some home devices, but usually a lot of people have home devices like a, a treadmill. They don't really use them. There's a lot of in um, online tools available that give you, I mean, I found a webpage for CrossFit that give you exercise you can do at home. These tools are probably important, but I guess it's more difficult to motivate people doing some physical duty exercising at home. I mean, also my personal experience, it's more difficult that I start doing push-ups at home than if I go outside or somewhere. And it's probably the change, the biggest change in COVID is probably the forms or the the practices we do in physicality. So it's not in my playing soccer, football, or tennis, or team sports. So it's more individual uh, sports that, that people should practice. And if you're a team player, then it's very difficult sometimes changing it, doing some individual exercises. The other thing is, if you have family at home, it's sometimes not that easy to do physicality when the kids are around or family. So it, it's not easy. The, the challenge is that we still will get to the recommended levels of physical activity per week. And I assume that a lot of people have decreased their physical activity levels. We are planning to conduct a study within the next couple of weeks or months on people working at my university. We'd like to, with a questionnaire, we'd like to assess their changes in physical activity before uh, the coronavirus and now during the coronavirus. So I hope we're going to have some information on their, on their habits and their changes in behavior. Mm. And, and in, in U.S., there's quite a bit of people with pre-diabetes and, and type 2 diabetes. And it's also sedentary behavior is, is affecting that. And people are probably more sedentary when they need to self-isolate. So how, how do you see the, the people with, with these conditions now? Mm. It, there's probably a lot of different, I mean, problems related to that. First of all, as we are most time inside, our, our screen time increased. I mean, we're more in front of the TV and more in front of the computer, probably watching more series, more TV. So I think sedentary time probably has increased in, in a lot of people. If you're already sedentary before, it doesn't help. And if you have obesity, as we usually, when you watch TV, we are eating something, so we're snacking or drinking something. So I don't think it's a very positive impact the COVID on on obesity or overweight indicators. The other problem is probably for some patients with chronic diseases that what we have observed in the U.S. is the less people looking and going to emergency room with heart attacks and and different symptoms because people are afraid going to the hospital because this is basically where probably the hotspots are where you have a lot of a high risk getting infected with the coronavirus. So it has also an impact on the treatment. That's probably, I guess, the treatment indicators. I could imagine they they go in the wrong direction. And we are in related to that we are planning another like a grand proposal at the moment, trying to assess the changes in the population or certain type of patients of the COVID on their treatments and, and follow up. But I think it's, it's not a, it's not a good time probably for people being more physically active due to the, the restrictions they have. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid and incredibly sturdy. I, I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active in and active periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behaviour, particularly the concept of sitting, 
and how we can possibly break it up with some really good valid information. And and you have done work related to hypertension and and it seems that even even a hypertension increases the risk of mortality when you get the coronavirus infection. Do you have any any take on that? Why why is it like like that? Yeah, there's I mean when you check the data, um, the scientific data at the moment, I mean check who has more complications, who at high risk of of death. They usually have people that have hypertension, heart disorders, heart diseases, that have type two diabetes, chronic conditions, they're at higher risk. And there has been a lot of different hypotheses and some studies showed that the one of the main reasons is the coagulation factors that coronavirus leads to um, um, to, to thrombolytic effects that basically obstruction of the blood vessels and some of them die to heart diseases blood with an underlying conditions your your basic health is already worse so this most likely has an impact and even these people i mean if they probably have better controlled lifestyle factors like physical activity, no, um, a normal weight, they much better off or have better controlled diabetes, better controlled hypertension. Then I think their prognosis is better than they have an uncontrolled hypertension or uncontrolled type 2 diabetes. So again, the importance to having your chronic disease very well controlled in during coronavirus times and even outside the coronavirus times. Mm. So having having the conditions controlled well helps. How how do you see the role of physical activity in the in controlling the different diseases? It's very important. I think it should be one part of the pillars of the treatment, an important part of the treatment on all chronic diseases. I mean, if you have a disease, it has been shown that physiotherapists should be or is part of the treatment of patients type two diabetes or with diabetes. It should be part of treatment of patients' hypertension, of heart diseases, because usually if you have had a heart attack, you start rehabilitation. You start on the on the treadmill. You start to move, and it's important. It helps you getting your physical duty levels back, having good health, and in in their um, re I mean to in the rehabilitation of of the disease. Of course, after the heart attack, you need to be well controlled. How much can you be active? and slowly increase. So definitely need a, an expert in rehabilitation medicine to know how much you can be active. But in almost any diseases, physical duty is one of the treatments that should be offered additionally to m- medical treatment, I mean, drug treatment. Mm. And and how do you see that now with the current levels of infections, for example, in the US and that the vaccine will take probably at least a couple of years to come. Quite many people with chronic conditions will probably get the disease at some point. Do you see a role of prehabilitation for them that they would control the disease better and how how this could be done? I think everything, the problem is we still, there's so many things we don't know yet about uh, the, the virus. So in general, what we have been observing now, if people have a chronic disease, the most important thing is they're well controlled. They make sure that their hypertension, their blood pressure is well controlled, um, that their diabetes is well controlled, the glucose level well controlled. And this reduces the risk of, of severe complications. So it increases their probability of um, do not have like adverse health outcomes. I mean, it doesn't give a guarantee, but it definitely increases the odds or the probability. And that's why they should take that opportunity and make sure that if you have high blood pressure, you have diabetes, any other chronic conditions, that you have it well controlled. Physical duty is one of the ideal measures that helps you getting these indicators controlled. That's why try to be physically active. I mean, even during the coronavirus times to get or increase it to the amounts you need to to be of better health if a better health conditions your prognosis improves of course you still have a worse prognosis than if you do not have any chronic disease the same with age i mean if you're older then you have a higher risk of adverse effect of the coronavirus than 
if you are younger. I mean, but if you're younger, it doesn't mean that you have zero risk. You have an increased risk, but not as much as probably people with chronic disease are of older age. Mm-hmm. So, so we have now discussed physical activity, prescription, its implications to COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Is there something you would like to add to these topics, or is there other topics you would like to bring into into discussion? And uh, no, the the only thing is the importance of having a national physical duty guidelines, like um, on a ministry health ministry level or of public health agency levels in in the different countries, because not all countries have like national guidelines, and and these guidelines should include not only I mean of course one is like the prescription or the the way how much should be physically active, but the other thing is okay how what has to be changed you need to have the environment you have to have like um, education physical activity at schools you have to guarantee that the children have visited during enough time at hours during the schools that the places where people practice visibility specifically in south america are safe that there's lights i mean that there's enough investment maybe re um, from health care insurances maybe reimbursement if you go to the gym There's a lot of different environmental factors to modify, and if there are national physicality guidelines, they maybe lay the ground to uh, ease the access to physicality for most people, like uh, bicycle roads, for instance, and many other, like uh, the built environment, or even how you build cities, that we have certain guidelines that help us to be physically active. And there's a lot of different interventions have been shown that they work. And I think that these national guidelines should be developed and maybe be country specific, but implemented in all over the world. This will probably help from the public health perspective to be more physically active. Mm. Yeah, I like how you bring your international knowledge of of different countries into this. This. Uh, so, is there anything you would like to promote, or are you looking for any parties for collaboration? I mean, I'm also interested. I mean, if there's anyone who is interested in in taking up doing some studies on the physical duty prescription, or is interested in in organizing workshops, even through Zoom, on physical duty prescription anywhere, if it's in Finland or anywhere in the world, I mean, feel free to contact me, and I'm sure you can facilitate my my email address with people interested in. If you need any advice or Uh, interested in in more detailed experience on national physicality guidelines. Also, I'm, I'm more happy to to help. The most important thing is, I mean, a message basically to everybody: try to reach like the 150 minutes of moderate physicality levels. You can do them even twice per day, 50 minutes. It works as well as so it don't have to be 30 minutes in a row. And especially during the coronavirus time, try to maintain or increase the physicality levels. To meet the guidelines to maintain a good health and to control your your basic disease conditions, if you have any chronic diseases. Mm. So, if any anyone interested with collaboration, please be in in contact with Noel. So, I think we are closing our time limit. So, so you will have a short break before your teaching teaching Thank start. You. What what would be your final remarks for for this interesting episode? Basically, enjoy physical activity and make it uh, do it a form that you like to do. So find out what is you like to do most. If it's walking, if it's like in Finland, winter cross country skiing, or in summer go jogging, or or doing beach volleyball, whatever. I mean, enjoy physical activity, and it's the easiest way probably to reach the recommended level. So it shouldn't be like you be forced to do physical activity. Idea is that you enjoy what you're doing, and physical activity really has so many health benefits on your mental health, on on your body. And it also it's a nice social way how to have social contacts and how to meet people and and to enjoy life. So I think f- at least for me it gives me a lot of energy and helps me going on through the day and to be physically active. And sometimes doing physical if you go running, walking, you can run walk fast, which is also a good form of physicality. And probably the cheapest form of physicality go for a walk, uh, for half an hour walk with walk fast, a brisk walking, 
And it's sometimes I have some nice creative ideas for my work. I mean, a lot of good ideas or bad ideas I have for my work comes when I'm physically active. So it helps me to, to relax. So try it. I mean, you won't regret it. Mm. I, I, I couldn't agree more with your, your words. Very, very good points. Uh, it was it was an honor to have you in the podcast. It was interesting to hear your your very international journey around the world. So thank you for taking the time for this podcast, Noel. You're very welcome. It was a great experience, and hello to everybody in Finland and everywhere else. So thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day this podcast is sponsored by fibian get scientific validation and learn more about fibian at fibian.com research the physical activity researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.